I'm your host, Deanna Butcher, and welcome to the podcast, where we're talking to real people in real time, with real stories that will awaken, illuminate, and transform our lives together. This is The D Word. Hello and welcome everyone to the podcast. I am your host, Deanna Butcher, and I have with me my beautiful co-host, Samantha Caroline Lovely. So as you guys know, Samantha is going to be a part of our podcast as a regular co-host. You would have seen her on our last episode where we talked about her book, Beautiful Disaster. So if you haven't seen that, check that out. And also there's already podcasts available for download as well. So if you haven't seen us or this is your first time hearing about us, go check out that podcast and certainly visit our website, the dwordproductions.ca, and you'll be able to get all the information about our membership and everything we're doing here at the D Word. And right now, our topic is going to be about depression. So as we do with the D Word and why we've created this, it's to awaken, illuminate, and transform our lives together. And so depression is a part of, I would say, most people's lives. We've been infected by it in one way or another, whether you're the one or you maybe have a loved one that's going through these things. So we're going to be looking at that from all angles. So today's topic will be depression, the tender reality of depression and working through those wounds. Mm -hmm. So coming from two of us, and certainly if you have heard uh, my podcast I did about strength, Um, So listen to that because it talks more about, you know, maybe what I've been through and how I work through those things and how I found my strength. And certainly uh, with Samantha as to why she wrote her book, Beautiful Disaster. So, you know, you're talking to two people today (laughs) who've been through it and are still as we are healing and have healed through most of uh, the things that we've been through in life is life still happens. And so it's always our reaction and our thoughts, feelings, and emotions around every situation we're faced with. And it's so easy to get into that energetic space of where we once were or what we're trying to heal from. So, you know, we certainly want to bring awareness and maybe bring some sort of normalcy to actual depression let it be less of a stigma and more of a reality of people's lives and you know certainly as we're removing ourselves from the social media platforms um, where one might go to Instagram and think people have the perfect life but we know that isn't so and so today we're going to be talking about you know one a little bit about what we've been through and our trials and tribulations but how we made it through and what it feels like and how the tools that we're providing how can help you through your situation as well so um so welcome everybody and samantha if you want to get us started and giving us that glimpse into what depression is and is has been like for you okay yeah so my experience with depression has been i was depressed without even really understanding or knowing that i was depressed for years it was very cycled, was very up and down. Um, I thought it was more of my emotional state imbalances. Then there was the heart of the storm of my depression, mm-hmm. um, which when everything came tumbling down, and there was also a period of almost like autopilot. Mm-hmm. There's there's spaces that I can't even remember. Then I would say after there's the residual effects of depression. 
you know, depression is not something that's very clear cut or dry. Mm -hmm. There's it's, and it's unique to each person because we each live the experience very differently. There's a state of the person, the state of being, the emotional state, the cognitive state, state, the physical state, the spiritual state. There's so many different aspects at play. Also the environment within which we find ourselves when we're in depression, mm -hmm. also the state of our life. Yes. You know, so there's so many factors at play. And I feel after having moved through my own depression, my experience has been that uh, it's a, one of the most widespread illnesses that is the most misunderstood. Yes. And the attention needed to this, the presence that's needed to really understand what it is, there's, there's a lack in that. Yeah. You know, there's been great efforts made in, you know, bringing awareness and trying to dissolve the stigma of it, which is all great in its own essence and light. However, it's understanding the root cause or causes of depression because oftentimes depression is the after effect yes. of something that had happened. And this could be something that could have happened, you know, um, once before, even right back to our childhood. Mm -hmm. There is no linear timeline to really fully get the grasp and understanding of depression. I'll share a bit about my experience to give um, an overview. My first time remembering feeling what I now call like this real divine discontent, mm. like something was really not well in, within me. I was 13. This was just after the second time that I'd been <clears throat> sexually violated, which happened when I was 12. I remember waking up one morning and there was that spark of life was no longer there. And as a child, as a preteen, you know, pre adolescent, right? Hormones, mm. everything, you know, so it was kind of, it was a mix of everything. But I remember writing this letter to my parents because I wanted to die. And I couldn't comprehend why I wanted to die. Yeah. So it was the first time and I'm a writer and today my way to commute and then my way to communicate was through my writings. It was like a safe place for me to be able to fully voice what I couldn't put words to. So I had wrote this letter to my mom and I laid it on her dresser and then she found it and then she come found me. And I was very vivid at the time. Maybe it was in my because of my pre-adolescent <laughs> roaring emotions. <laughs> I was pretty expressive in how I felt. And so this is when they began to get help from me. Traditional therapy, which was talk therapy, which was a lot to deal with the childhood abuse. This is where everybody was thinking, like, you know, the, the specialists and the therapists was thinking that this was all coming up from. So I had done that for a bit, but I got tired of talking because there was no progress forward. So then I just stopped. I mm -hmm. said, you know, um, I'm okay. 
So then, you know, you find other coping mechanisms. And I remember um, when I was about 18, I guess, again, started to feel really, really miserable. I always had this restlessness about me. There was just something just did not feel right. I couldn't put my finger on it, but something just did not feel right. I felt almost um, indifference. I be- mm-hmm. This is where, at the age where I started to feel very indifferent. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't understand because I'm naturally a very feely person. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel everything so intense. Yeah. But I no longer felt the pain. But when you tap out and no longer feel the pain, you no longer feel joy. Yeah. So when we take away that vulnerability and being open to receiving life, I can explain this now from where I'm at today, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I did not have the words or the understanding or the knowing or the vocabulary at that time then to be able to articulate what I am today. It's only in retrospect. And then I had my first baby. I was 19 when I got pregnant and I was 20 when I gave birth, which was a very traumatic delivery in of itself. And I had postpartum, which I was only later diagnosed with, but Mm -hmm. there was no help available. No. No. So there was like four months in lag time. And I remember telling the health nurse when she had called, I'm like, because she had asked me if I was suicidal. I'm like, four months later, I had a chance to be dead by now. Mm -hmm. So then there was also this anger towards the system itself. Yeah. Right? I kind of navigated through life up and down for many years Then I, you know, I had married, I had more babies, you know what I mean? I was building the life, finish up my degree. So I was busy, 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 busy. And then after I'd accomplished all that, and then I was working into the field of um, social work with, with the director of youth and child, child youth protection, um, I remember this night, uh, my friend dragged me to the office because um, I was a workaholic mm-hmm. on top of all that. And I remember sitting down at this pub and I seen something up on the wall and it was like, snap, all of a sudden I realized this is not my life. Mm-hmm. This is not what I signed up for. It was almost like the wall started to come crashing down and I remember my friend looking at me and she's like she's not looking at a poster or something she's like Samantha she said you okay I'm like this is not my life mm-hmm. it's like in that moment I did not realize who I was at who was I living life for mm-hmm. and so but <clears throat> that didn't stop me I continued to push mm-hmm. and push and back then I had refused any medication that anybody would offer me I myself then too had my own ideas about medication. I was very afraid of what it would do to my system, to my body. So I was like, no medication. So then I ended up um, one day, because I used to travel a lot for my work, and I come home this day. And the next morning I got up after not sleeping, because then I developed like almost like insomnia. Mm-hmm. So I went to my doctor's office for my, vis- for my visit, and I remember just getting into the office. And I put the scarf up to my nose and I started to cry. Mm. But at this point, I hadn't cried in a long, long time. Sure. Well over a year and a half. So it just goes to show how tapped out 
Yeah. I was just busy, 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 busy. And I told him, I said, I can't do this. I'm going. But I didn't even know what that meant at the time. Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, finally. And I'm looking at him like, what do you mean, finally? He said, Samantha, he said, I want you to come back to my office. He said, at three o'clock, that's when there would be nobody there. Mm-hmm. He said, but as for now, he said, you go home and come back at three. So I did, I went home, I came back at three. And that's where he said, Samantha, he said, finally. He said, because there's nobody who is in a healthy state can do what you have been doing. Yeah. The working, the raising the children, being a single parent, that was even before I was separated because mm-hmm. my ex-husband used to work away all the time. Uh, that was just a natural dynamic of our family. Um, studying full time, you know, volunteering here, disactivity here, that. So it's like in that moment, I gave my permission, self permission to crash. So I went home that day after filling out my prescription, something first to help me sleep. Mm-hmm. I had to go back two days later. I remember walking into my bedroom, and it was almost as if the whole, my whole, the whole life in my body just left me. And I felt like somebody that was intoxicated. I felt like drunk. Mm-hmm. And I remember landing face and eyes in my bed. And for three months, pretty much I was just, I would get up just long enough, you know, just to do basic things. And then through my discovery with the doctor, I had not only developed the depression major depression it was also a severe burnout Mm -hmm. which was visceral fatigue on top of that then I started developing anxiety it's almost like when everything came crashing down I was like Mm -hmm. all the time and I was taking all kinds of different medication they were trying to but I wasn't responding it would be just short verses so but um for a full year my life was pretty much on autopilot this is where I developed the gambling addiction I had put on about 70 pounds, not even aware mm-hmm. at the time. So I was emotionally eating. And then as a parent, you know, you feel guilty because you know you're trying to do what you can do for your children. Then, I mean, as a social worker, I was like, you know, I just can't happen to me. Mm-hmm. But that's nonsense. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I know that today. And what was the biggest shocker is that everybody else in my community and around me was shocked because they thought I had the perfect life. Yeah. Because this was the perfect image that I was upholding. And also come to find out, I slowly started to recover bit by bit. It was a journey. It was, you get, you get into this space with depression where it requires a deep breath, mm-hmm. first and foremost. And that can look different for a lot of people. You know, it could be, but I was ashamed to even go outside and walk because I, where I was signed up for, I felt like I needed to barricade myself because this is also a very common thing with depression. We figure if somebody's depressed, well, they should be home in the bed in the dark. Yeah. You know, or isolated. Mm-hmm. Actually, through my own mentoring and through my own counseling and the work that I do, I encourage people to get outside, even mm-hmm. if it's just to sit on your patio and to enjoy the sun because it's so important 
to do these things, what feels good to you, out in nature, yes. walking, whatever it is, and it's different for each person. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes, the stigma with depression is that we don't do nothing. Or you don't look depressed. <laughs> there you go, no. exactly. Yeah. And Deanna, seriously, what the heck is a depressed look? Yeah, well, because you're trying so hard to survive that everything mm -hmm. has to be perfect. So if you have that obsessive compulsive about your home and everything's tidy and your kids are clean and, and you're like, that's the <laughs> yeah. facade, that's the face of it. Because when you're broken, you don't want to see it, but certainly other people so yeah, it just, like you say, takes people by surprise and certainly in the workplace because it's like, mm. there's such a stigma there. You know, if you're put on stress leave, then it's like, well, she was fine. She just wants, she's lazy. She just wants a vacation, yes. you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, fuck, I don't want this. I didn't <laughs> sign up for this. Who the fuck wants this? Yeah. Said no one ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, it's, um, I remember for the second time in my life, uh, wanting to die. But then I couldn't die. because I said, I have to stay for my children. So as much as I love my children, they used to piss me off. Yeah. It's like, I have to stay for you three. I didn't tell them that, but this is what well, I was yeah. feeling inside. So there was a resentment there as well. Plus on top of the shame, the depression and the irritation and even the frustration of not even being able to get out of my own way everything mm -hmm. took effort mm -hmm. i remember being at one point so in the depths of my depression and my despair that i had went to my mom's house with the kids for i think it was for lunch so i walked into my mother's house my bra in my hand not even on because i was like i'll put it on when i get there mm -hmm. like no care complete opposite of what i would you know, I delivered my babies with my bra on. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was like total opposite, right? Yeah. And so I remember my mom saying, I'm going to wash your hair. Mm. And I remember thinking to myself, and then I looked at her and I said, my hair must be awful dirty. I need to wash my hair. Mm. She didn't say anything to me because I was the opposite as well. Everything had to be just, you know, it's almost to the point of OCD obsession, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, to the point of, because everything took energy, mm -hmm. everything. I remember waking up long enough to use the bathroom, to come out, to get something to drink or even to pour coffee. By the time I would sit down to drink that coffee, I had not an ounce of life left into me. And I remember sitting there sometimes and just crying and thinking of, this is going to be my life. Like, and I can still see myself yet sitting down and thinking like, I can't even like, is there something physically wrong with my body? But only to learn three years after the initial onset of the complete breakdown, they found a blood report that they had missed, which was my B12. Yeah. So clinically, I should have been dead. This is why I felt really drunk, so off balance. Mm -hmm. So the depression was actually a blessing. And I say that very um, lightly, mm -hmm. you know, but with also, also understanding of what depression truly is. But it really was a blessing because it would force me 
to rest. Because mm -hmm. it was only through the resting that my B12 was able to build itself up mm -hmm. as it required. So by the time that we'd done some other blood work, I think it was in the 300 mark then. But I mean, I was in like the double digits, you know, low end mm. at this point. And then it made sense because I remember um, just after I was diagnosed with the depression and signed up for it, I had gone to the bank and it was my turn to speak with the teller. And I had gone up to the lady and I started to talk and I started to slur. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't articulate. And I was like, and I remember starting to fill up thinking like, what's like, what's going on now? Right? Like it was so, I mean, then I wouldn't go nowhere. Mm -hmm. So then I really barricaded myself in the house. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't want to associate with nobody because then I didn't even trust my own body to work for me. Yes. Right? Like, when there's that fear, because like, and it, it's interesting you say that because I never correlated that to a symptom of that anxiety and depression. And that was something I really struggled with and memory loss, like yes, slurring, time. like, and it would be like, or not being able to come up with the word or sentence you were trying to do, even if it's like, you know, this uh, green thing with paper in it, like I couldn't correlate, like, you know, to say something intelligent. So I didn't say anything at all out of fear that it wasn't intelligent. And it was because of anemia. <laughs> so I had still had B12 iron and, uh, you know, my blood cell count wasn't rejuvenating my blood cells. And it, it, but that was because of depression. So I never correlated the slurring of the words because the memory loss I did. And I just took that as exhaustion or a symptom of the anemia. And that was what everything was blanketed under. It's like, well, Deanna, you're anemic. That, you know, that's going to make you feel foggy. It's going to make you irritable. I'm like, well, yeah, but there's got to be other things to that too. So it's interesting you say that. Oh, it, um, it brought such acute clarity afterwards mm -hmm. through it all. And then it made total sense why I was not responsive to the medication. Yeah. My body, my body was more reactive. At one point, I was given a certain medication, and I could have killed on that medication. I took it for a few days, and then I, I got rid of it. Yeah. Called my doctor, and I said, I've never felt such rage in my entire life. He's like, yeah. Samantha, stop. I said, you haven't got to tell me to stop it. I stopped <laughs> it. I stopped yeah. it. Yeah. And so it took a, it was a big up and down. Then eventually, they found a medication that did work for but always had to keep going up. up. Then I also realized I had attention deficit disorder with hyperactivity. So then I was medicated for that. So that was all well and good. So then I stayed, I followed the medication, you know, mm -hmm. because I did not want to feel, yeah, to return back to where I was. But mm -hmm. That didn't stop me from having another burnout because I went back and continued to do, try to do what I always did. Yeah. We don't have the same level of energy. No. You know, so you, you burn out faster. Yeah. And then, but then that's when I started questioning because I remember meeting with, it took me two years to meet with the psychiatrist because where I lived, there was, there was no one available, mm -hmm. which is also another topic for another conversation because yes. the lack of resources that are available 
Mm -hmm. And it's, um, and oftentimes the way the system is set up, it's a treatment basis. Like, you know, you go in, you're medicated, see you later. When you come back, okay, how's medication working? We'll talk about all your problems. That's it. Mm-hmm. So we're not getting at the, and I remember the second time I changed doctors. Um, my doctor that I had treatment depression, fantastic. But um, I needed another doctor because he was, uh, he was going away on and off. So that was fine. And he wanted to know my life story. I was like, oh my God. Get your pen, get your paper, write all this down because I ain't telling the story no more. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm so sick of saying what had happened throughout my whole life. Yeah. I said, I feel like a broken record. Mm-hmm. But then before I went back to work, I had to see a psychologist, which is called an expertise, mm-hmm. to evaluate me to see if I was fit, ready to go back to work, to be integrated. So I went there, done that, come back. Then I had HR call me from the office. They called me and she was crying on the phone. I'm like, you okay? She's like, I can't believe all what you lived. And I think in that moment, something snapped in me, like a light switch went on. I'm like, there's something more here. Because I kept feeling this void within me but also this hunger to fill that void, right? Mm -hmm. So this is when I started thinking, I need to look at myself. What's going on in my Mm -hmm. life? Everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't in a healthy marriage. And so I made the choice, which probably was one of the biggest choices then at that time, to walk away. And I remember telling my ex-husband at the time, I said, it's not because I don't love you, because I do. It's because I don't love myself. Mm. And that was so profound because I, it's almost like that's when I began my pilgrimage journey. Yeah. My journey into rediscovery and recovery of the self. Yes. And nobody understood because, and that didn't matter. There was a lot of pressure from family as well because you know with I kind of grew up in in an environment where you know you make your bed you lay in it and I remember having this conversation with this therapist by call for my work and we're going over everything and she said Samantha she said you are breaking generational cycles Mm -hmm. and that's when it clicked to me right so at this point Mm -hmm. I was meeting people here and there but my depression was still you know, still up and down, and there was still a lot of residual effects because I still wasn't feeling fully grounded, and I still hadn't come into my welcome back my spiritual self. Mm. You know, and I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't love myself. I loathed myself. Um, I didn't value myself. There was so so much, and I remember thinking like. This, there's got to be a way. So I kind of started my, with my own therapies because I, I couldn't talk anymore. Mm-hmm. I said, like, this talk therapy, like, after a while, like, forget <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I decided to start focusing on my self-worth. Mm-hmm. And then slowly the meditation began 
And when I started meditating, oh God, I meditated like, you know, it was like morning, noon and night, you know, it became, <laughs> it was almost addictive because it was a space where I was able to find peace within my pain. Mm -hmm. um, and the healing began. And then I had this feeling that the medication wasn't serving me no more. Mm -hmm. um, because I always need to increase. But every time I increase, my body would have an adverse reaction. I wreaked havoc on my nervous system. So I slowly done a detoxification of an asavraj, you know, slowly coming off of the meds. I didn't tell anybody. Not mm -hmm. that I would suggest that to anyone mm -hmm. at all, you know, because I mean, a lot of these medications can have really, really um, important impacts on the system. Yeah. So neurologically, you know, I was off balance and everything for about six months before I recalibrated. Um, but I began strong meditational practices and then I began journaling and I began gratitude practices. And I remember um, getting outdoors more in nature. So, and I went back to work. Uh, I was in a different position at that time. And I remember one of the doctors saying in the psychological report, he said, anything major that happens in her life will set her back. I remember reading that. I'm like, hell fuck no. Uh-uh. <laughs> 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 like it pissed me off, right? Which is probably a good thing. <laughs> but after that, but after that, after that report, this is when my marriage dissolved, um, my house burnt down, um, everything. I left my job, like everything went bottoms up. And then it's like, okay, I'm restarting. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna climb back up. And the one thing I wanna say with all of this is that my journey with depression has been very scattered. Mm -hmm. There's nothing linear about it. Mm -hmm. But what I've realized through the many different therapy, therapies, um, even the ones that I've created for myself, and that now that I use and work with others, and that even the guidance I've had from so many others around, it continues to be a spiral journey mm -hmm. of deepening. But I would have to say that the experience itself brought to light the wounds that were deeply held inside me. Mm -hmm. um, I felt very broken. Um, and so, and depression became a normal part of my life, but one that I had hidden mm -hmm. out of shame. Um, so there was no one, two, three step. Mm -hmm. And this is what, when I work with other individuals, this is what I often share. Each journey is unique to each person mm -hmm. because though our stories differ in a thousand ways, as our experiences, the emotions we feel are the same. Mm -hmm. We just relate them to different experiences and mm -hmm. how we interpret them 
And more than that, our healing is common. Mm -hmm. So this comes back to the wound or the wounds. So here I am today, no longer suffering with depression because of how I've created my life. But that required me to recover myself. Yes. And this doesn't happen overnight. It's a journey. And you have to be willing to get on that journey. And it's vulnerable. And it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's not pretty. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my healing took place on my bathroom floor. Yeah. Crying. You know, the bathroom shower going, sink water going so my children wouldn't hear me. Um, but intuitive as they are, they knew something was up anyway, even yeah. though I tried to hide it. Mm. But depression, I've come to learn, even as I work with people, it's a mask in so many ways for the honeyed wounds that oftentimes we are unaware of. Yeah. Like today, I understand I have complex PTSD. Now, I don't wear that as a badge of honor, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. You know, like, however, it's in the understanding of the wounds that I have that helps me be able to tend to them mm -hmm. and to mend those shattered parts, those parts, the fragmented parts of myself. You know, to create a new template, to create new patterns, you know, to change how I, to shift my thoughts by becoming aware. It's coming back into our self-awareness. Where is my train of thoughts going? What am I thinking about most of the time? And it's not about forcing positivity or shaming negativity. Mm -hmm. None of that. It's about being really real. This is yes. what it is. So if this is what it is, this doesn't feel good, this is not serving me, how can I do something or shift where it feels good and it feels better? Mm -hmm. And how do I want to feel? Yes. Right? How do I want to feel? Because throughout my depression, throughout my experience, I remember going through many different phases. Um, at one point, it was like I was ashamed of my depression. Then I was defending my depression. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like I was hell bent. Like, because it's almost like I had something to grasp onto. Mm -hmm. I'm not crazy. You know? Yes. Okay, this all happened, so, so I'm depressed. But then I kept thinking, this should not be my life sentence. Mm. You know, grief and love, pain and pleasure. It's all part of life. Mm. You know, there's these ups and downs. And so then I start really focusing on emotional intelligence, emotional maturity. Yes. And I think that when we recover the self, it's a rediscovery of the self. Mm. When we understand our wounds, we are then able to tend to them in a way that nurtures them. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's childhood wounds. And the therapies are many, you know, um, but here I am now in this stage of my life after doing so many different other therapies um, and creating a life that's healthy and sane to me. Mm. Chaos, you know, nope. 
don't want it. Drama, don't want it. Toxic people, don't tolerate it. Mm -hmm. Boundaries, boundaries. So you're relearning mm -hmm. so many different things, but it starts and it ends with ourselves. And this is where sometimes depression has almost like a double-edged sword because it is what it is and it's a very common reality. But we are labeling a illness. Mm. But it was responsible for this illness. It shouldn't be a life sentence. Yeah. It's about understanding, okay, how can I respond to this? Mm -hmm. Because if somebody broke their leg, you're not going to tell them, you know, get over it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no shame in that. Your bone is broke. It needs to be probably refixed. It might need surgery. For everybody, it's different. The healing time could be different. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes with depression, what happens is, and there's so much stigma around it, mm -hmm. so much, because depression, there's a such, there's such a hate. The pain is the suffering. Mm -hmm. is undescribable because when you are not well mm -hmm. within your own mind your own body your own emotional states you don't even trust yourself no you don't trust your judgments you don't trust your choices and this is where layer upon layer more shame is added the self-doubt the confusion and that weighs down, like that's, that's yep. a burden, right? That's heavy and that's heavier. And so when people often talk about suicide and it's the most, it's such a painful topic because it's heartbreaking, but I also understand them. You want the pain to end and you mm -hmm. don't know how to make it stop. It's a constant state of suffering. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to take their own life. But when you don't know where to go with this pain, when you mm -hmm. can't just pluck it out of you and say like, be gone, you want it gone. You want yep. it to stop. So this is where then we turn towards other things. This could be addictions, could, you know, like for myself, workaholic keep busy but depression is like something that knocks you on your ass and say okay this is it enough of this yeah enough of this shit show mm -hmm. you know what i mean all these distractions it's time to come back to self and i think that if we had a system that would help support that and it is it is awakening to that to really listen to the person to the patient before them to help understand them versus just giving medication and following up and see if it's working. And the same thing with talk therapy. We need more because, okay, if you're struggling with depression, what's next? It's not the end all and be all. How can I shift? Mm -hmm. How can I find more ease? And it's not all at one time. It's small little increments and slowly, little by little, one breath, one thought, one action at a time. You see a difference. But 
we need guidance because we don't know what we don't know. Well, and so much of this, I feel, is even filtered through us reacting to what is our, as you mentioned, surroundings and what we are going through. So, I mean, that whole, you know, the social media, how people perceive you in public, what is the vision of happiness and perfection and wealth and success and all of those things. And it's shoved on our throat. Yeah. And so you feel insignificant in a world that no one fits into. And then you think that you're doing something wrong, or if I'm working so hard, how come it's not paying off? I thought I was doing everything right. Mm-hmm. And that in itself can create a depression because the mo- it, it, it's a reaction. It's a belief system that changes based on how we've reacted to that one situation. And it's never about the one person or the one situation. It's often once you realize like, you know, shit has happened or you finally are on sick leave or and then you're maybe on disability or your health is bad or maybe you've got like for me it was having two health scares and to understand that I don't there's not a standard of how one should be it's once you can become yourself mm. that that is the norm and that's all it's ever expected but we have this big vision of what that should be you know i should be thin i should have well-behaved kids i mean and they're good (laughs) but you know um but that was such a stigma to me you know being the mom that could make the play-doh from scratch and have my house clean at the same time and do all of these things and you know and even i ran a day home because i thought being a mom was what I was good at. And if I could do that, and it would be this perception that, and I wasn't even trying to do it for the people. It was like trying to be the person that everybody else saw and that they saw the happy person who was smiling all the time, mm. laughing at everything, great conversationalist. But as the moment I would walk out of work, I would shut down. I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't want to interact with people. And I thought to myself, well, if I could just be her, be the one that was smiling all the time and truly feel happy, then that's the version of me I wanted to be. But to be her also came with the perfect marriage, the nice car, the perfectly clean home, all these things that everybody thought I had that made me happy. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't even know what makes me happy. And aside from my kids, but worst of the depression was before I had them. And it was kind of like having them balanced me out and said, no, you're here for a fucking reason. And then I'm like, okay. (laughs) and you know and it took a long time but you know for you sharing your story and I think would be even a good segue right now to say that's part one yeah our session right now to say you know this is Samantha's story is is part one and I'd love to go into even a part two maybe even a part three and sharing more about that and then seeing everyone come back for even a part three of some of the resources that we found help Mm. and then what we offer. So in that, I would love to keep the conversation flowing and do a part two. And certainly for those of you who are members of the dwordproductions.ca for the transformational stage, you'll get the additional extra content that we will offer for that part three. So if you want to see the part three, join our transformational stage and get that. And otherwise we will see you again very soon. We're just going to keep recording. We're going to keep going and we're going to go into part two guys. So thank you for tuning in and we'll see you in part two.